Hello and welcome to episode 3 of Divergent by Design, a podcast that is dedicated to exploring the ways that you can use universal design for learning in your classroom. My name is Jonathan Wiley and according to the script, I am joined today <laughs> by one of my favorite people, Lynn Kleinmeier. Well, I mean, if it's in writing, you gotta you got to believe it. You know, believe everything you read. That's, that's the rule, isn't it? I think so. I think that's how that works. How are you today, friend? I am amazing. It's third time's the charm, right? I think so, yeah. I think so. Good and things so, come in threes. I, I firmly believe that. So, I mean, here we are. And we're now to the point where we are digging into the UDL framework itself. So, I'm excited. Yes, all about engagement today, and maybe if we are referencing the the UDL guidelines, it's that recruiting interest box that we so fondly see right at the top (laughs) of the UDL guidelines. Well, and I think it's the perfect place to start because it really is kind of the crux, um, the foundation, if you will, of the UDL guidelines in my mind, so... The whole idea of recruiting interest, inviting your students into the learning process from the very beginning. Yeah, I think that's obviously something that is really important towards getting your students to be immersed in that content. And, you know, that's what we're going to be looking at today, looking for ways where we can get students really engaged in the learning. It's a, it's an age-old dilemma, I think, something we <laughs> wrestle with throughout time as, as educators, but uh, we have some ideas for you today. And, and I think about, you know, it's that first piece of the engagement column, Um, This particular box is really about, you know, how do you, from the very beginning, invite your students into the learning process. And so it's all about recruiting interest. But I feel like before we dive into that, we maybe need to digress just for a second and have um, a little bit of a conversation about what engagement really is about. Sure. So where would you like to begin? Um, You know, I'm I'm a firm believer in in Hattie's conversation of, you know, common language, and we have to have common understanding. So Um, Once again, kind of in the vein that we did last time, dispelling a few myths about engagement. Uh, A lot of times when I'm out working um, with other educators, sometimes there's a a misnomer of of engagement being um, about almost this mindset of entertainment um, or about compliance. And that's not really what it's about at all. Yeah, I think, you know, superficially, if you were walking through a school and you see all students with their heads down working on something, you know, that could be engagement or it could be compliance. Everybody's just doing what they're told. And, you know, it's hard to know superficially just by poking your head in the classroom for a few seconds if they are completely engaged in that work or if they are being compliant as we we want them to be compliant we want them to be doing things that they're supposed to be doing in the classroom but you know is that the same as engagement and we're gonna say no right because i i think about um doug fisher nancy fry and john hattie just recently published a book you know the distance learning playbook and they kind of surface this idea of the dimensions of engagement you know there's a nuance and it's multi-dimensional and oftentimes as educators we um sometimes hone in on that physical engagement, you know, kind of that compliance, like what we can see because it's, it's tangible, right? Yeah. But, um, engagement really is much more nuanced than that. And you have to think about that intellectual engagement. You know, how are you inviting your students to actually, um, 
think about the learning and you think about the social side of things. We know that learning is a social endeavor. So how are we um, capitalizing on that exchange of ideas? And then you have the emotional side of things, the that ability to feel safe in a space. And then you have the cultural sides of engagement. And so, you know, it's really... Um, much more nuanced than I think people sometimes think about. And so that's kind of our job today is to talk a little bit of that nuance and really with this starting square, um, for lack of a better term, uh, you know, really thinking about, okay, so how do we, how do we do all of this? So Jonathan, you have all the answers, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's why we're doing this podcast, right? Exactly. Um, No, I mean, and we will be the first to say that we don't have all the answers. And um, we have often talked about if we were to go back to the classroom, the things that we would maybe do differently. So as we're kind of chatting about this and and talking a a little bit about the UDL guidelines and and thinking about the think abouts, the considerations, when implementing all of this, know that we're just throwing out a couple ideas, but we know that there are so many amazing things that are happening uh, much beyond what we were able to share right now. Yeah, we have suggestions, we have thoughts, we have things that we would like to try ourselves. But, you know, if you have ideas of your own, we we would love to hear those too. Exactly. We are not experts. We are expert learners, right? There you go. (laughs) Still on that journey. Yes, Yes. Still on the journey. Always on the journey. All right. So thinking about this whole idea of recruiting interest, um, one of the things I appreciate about the UDL guidelines is they do give some checkpoints and just some considerations and and think abouts. And so, um, you know, one of the first pieces that we think about when inviting students into the learning process is how do we amplify voice and choice? So Jonathan, what, what do you think about that? So I think an an easy way to to approach that is to you know think about that that choice part by itself is a great way to help pull students in, help them be more engaged in in the learning. If they have that idea where you know the learning isn't just served to them on a plate by the teacher and is everybody is eating the same dish today, um, that we do actually have some, some choice over what that looks like. And you can do that fairly easily without much disruption in your classroom. Um, I think a lot of people will be, will be familiar with things like choice boards where you have like maybe a, I don't know, a three by three grid of, of activities where, you know, all of these activities will help students get to a deeper understanding of the learning objective you're working on but you know they get to choose what which tasks they want to work on on that choice board Um, but you you know you could do a scaled down version of that you know even if you just gave students you know three choices of, of what we're doing then they still have an option and for those kids who are who are working on those you can make those options um appeal to different types of learning styles you know some of them might be you know write this down some of them might be you know make a an audio or video recording of something or some might be you know go make a slide deck and you know you're giving them different choices of how to present information and um i think that is a a good step towards engaging students right and and i think you know, when you think about it as a parent, Jonathan and I are both parents as well as educators. And, you know, even from that little age of, of toddlers, you know, that no, I do.
do it kind of moment all the way yeah. through um, the teenagers that we have in our households uh, right now, or I have in my household, that, you know, they that idea of really wanting to feel like they have that choice, um, it just invites them into the learning environments because... It's no longer about being told what to do, that they they feel like they have some sort of ownership. And I think about, too, you know, with that example that you just shared, Jonathan, with the playlist, it's, a, it's kind of empowering them for that autonomy, too. You know, we really want to empower our students to be able to choose their own paths and get to know themselves as learners and kind of figure out, um, you know, break away a little bit from that codependence that sometimes we create that, you know, really empowering them to figure out the pacing of things um, just so that they feel like they have some modicum of control over kind of what's happening. Yeah. And I think as our, as our students get older and we do less, teaching tools to them then we can you know give them some choice over how they might complete a task as well you know it might be you know the, the choice might be more in terms of how they how they approach it if you are asking them for instance to you know create a graphic you know there's two ways you could say that you could say create a graphic using canva or you could just say create a graphic you know, the, the the world is your oyster for, for that one. And some might go and use Canvas. Some might use Google Drawing. Some might use Google Slides. Some might use Adobe Spark. But, you know, we're, we've showed our students these tools all the way through elementary school and probably in middle school as well. And now we're just saying, okay, you are expert learners now. I want you to go and show what you know with the tool that you like to use. Right. It's about helping them know what's going to work for them. Yeah. And you know, I think about that, uh, how empowering it is for students to be able to choose kind of the, their own pathways and to really kind of figure out what works well for them to build those lifelong skills. Um, one thing I will talk about with schools sometimes as they start this journey is, you know, having a little bit of a balance to what Jonathan and I are saying right now is is how can you invite your students into that learning space. Um, it does not mean that you throw all caution to the wind and you're like, peace out. You no longer need me, friends. No, it's it's about finding a balance of, you know, there's, there's still, they need you in a learning environment. Students need your expertise as the learner, as the teacher, but um, it's really about how can you kind of help slowly transfer that, that ownership by capitalizing on their interests and their um, their modes of learning that work best for them. And so, you know, trying to find that balance and not um, overwhelming students from the get-go with too many choices too. So it's, it's that Goldilocks of just right, not too much, not too little. Um, we don't want complete um, control but of, as the teacher, but also we don't want to like completely relinquish all control either you know I mean there's that delicate balance yeah because you could have students who are coming from a class or you know another part another part of their schooling where they didn't really get any choice at all or maybe your class is the only one where they do get choice so you know that that's going to be like drinking from a fire hose when <laughs> right. you, it can when be they kind of overwhelming start. right yeah absolutely could be but 
thinking about how to do it within the constraints or the, the, the structures you have in, in your school. You know, I think it makes a lot of sense as well when we think about, you know, we have a lot of schools that are exploring blended learning as, a, as an idea too, as an instructional path for them to take because, you know, that does really encourage students to, you know, have some control over the, the path they take in their learning, the pace of their learning, and even the place of their learning now. So there's lots of great ways that we can incorporate choice. Exactly. Exactly. And one of the other pieces, I think, too, is when you think about that choice and voice and, and inviting students into that learning space, I think there's also um, a lot to consider when it comes about that relevance um, mm-hmm. and, and continuing to capitalize on that connection for students personally um, to help them understand whatever the concept is or the skills that you have um, that you're introducing in your classroom, kind of leading with the why. Why for all of it? Why for the content? Why for the skills? Why for the choices that you're providing them? Um, really honing in on that whole concept of leading with the why is super, super important. Yeah, I think you and I have had this conversation already, but I've said to you that I remember when I was going through school, I didn't really have that why. I didn't have any concept of why we were doing stuff other than, you know, big picture. I know that, you know, we needed to learn how to read and we needed to know how to do some basic math just to function in society but when you actually drill down a little bit deeper I I didn't know why we were learning the things that we learned I just assumed that this is what you had to learn in order to (laughs) because they said so I think maybe that was it yeah I mean and you know the the learning that we do have for students that we construct that the curriculum we teach to it it's there for a reason and it does have meaning and I think all teachers can give you you know real world scenarios where where their content becomes important and we need to help surface those, I think, for students. Yeah, and make those personal connections. And, yeah. you know, I'll be honest and, and transparent that as a teacher, I oftentimes I put the standards or the learning objectives up on the board and things um, just to kind of help students kind of know what the focus for the day was. Mm-hmm. But one thing I think about that I would do differently now um, is to really help make the connection for students of not only that that personal relevance of, okay, here's why you might want to hone in this skill for your your world outside of school in the real world. I just did air quotes like our, our listeners can see. I saw but, that, yeah. Yeah, you can see me. Um, mm-hmm. I think they were air quotes for your benefit. You're welcome. Thanks. Um, but no, you know, I always laugh about the real world kind of thing because... I always told my students, you know, like the world you're living in is so fake. But, you know, helping them understand how the skill or the concept or whatever it is that you're doing has um, greater context in the world, but also how that particular piece will build on where we're going next in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Um, That was another piece that I really feel like if I could do it all over again, I would go back and I'd do maybe a little bit better um, job of surfacing how this particular piece fits into the bigger puzzle of not only that lifelong learning, but also where we're going in the classroom, just to help people understand and students understand, okay, it's not just hoop jumping. There's a, there's a purpose. 
Yeah, just having that continuum. I remember uh, working alongside one of our um, math consultants at Grant Wood, Emily Logan, and uh, she was working with some teachers at a school I was at. And that's one thing she did with the teachers. She got the whole K-12 staff together and she had a massive long piece of paper. She put all the way down the hallway and she mapped out all the different, you know, points where students are learning new things in math and showing the teachers how they can build on them and you know the sixth grade teachers can see you know what they did in third and fourth grade before they got to them and how it you know what the eighth and ninth grade teachers were going to do in math later on and even for teachers I think that's a really important thing to see that progression right contextualizing the learning yes exactly yeah yeah you know, and, and I think about the crux of, of both of these, and well, and really, quite frankly, the entire UDL guidelines, it really starts with knowing your students, um, really kind of capitalizing on who they are as individuals, as learners, the identities that they bring to the space, so that you can help them make some of those connections, and so that you can help them get to know themselves as learners as well. And so I think really another component of this whole idea of recruiting interest is creating that safe environment for learning um, where students really do feel honored and recognized and seen um, and valued. Yeah, and I think it makes me think about, uh, you know, the work of Bray and McClaskey. If you read some of their books on, on learner profiles and things like that, where, you know, you're just creating, you know, little short pieces of uh, you know reference materials you can have on your students where you can get to know them in a little bit more detail and I think that's a great thing to do at the start of the year you know as the year goes by you always learn more and more about your students and their personal interests but if you can have as much of that as you can up front it gives you the opportunity that when you're designing the learning to include some of those interests. And, you know, if all your kids are into Fortnite this year, then, you know, maybe you could you could bring in some Fortnite into uh, the work that you're doing. Or if they're all into this specific TV show or music band or something, you know, you can use that to help engage your students more in the work that you're that you're doing with them. Right. And I think a lot of times um, in my mind, when I hear of that safety, you know, my first inclination is to go to the physical safety, very similar to that whole idea of engagement. And so when you think about that um, emotional engagement, kids need to feel safe emotionally, um, socially, and culturally in a classroom. Um, They need to know that they are being honored and valued in order to take the risks in order to try something out, in order to feel vulnerable enough to make some mistakes. Um, And so it really kind of circles back to that idea of expanding on that safety piece to think about the intellectual and the emotional, the social, the cultural pieces. And so um, kind of taking a step back and understanding the identities that your students bring to a learning space and helping kind of remove some of those barriers, um, if they are barriers, or helping to capitalize on those, like Jonathan just said, you know, bringing in some of those those interests, but also helping students see themselves reflected in the space as well can help open that door as well. Yeah, you want to make sure that, you know, students feel valued as part of your learning community and that, you know, that you are respecting and recognizing their cultural backgrounds and so I think that's not something we've traditionally done very well in the past and that we've had 
you know, textbooks with 2.4 American white families living in the suburbs sort of thing. And not everybody, you know, can identify well with that. And, you know, that's going to be an example of where students are going to tune out and they don't see the relevance and they, they're not engaged from things like that. So, you know, we can we can find connections for our students that way to help bring them into the learning. Right. Being aware and, and being aware of, you know, them as individuals and, and personally as well. You know, I think about you know, before what I was talking about with that social engagement. If you've got a student who um, maybe is a little bit more introverted, mm-hmm. um, that th- that whole social interaction piece is not the way that they approach learning. Being respectful of that and, and kind of helping to recognize all of those pieces that your students bring. Because when you recruit interest, one of the, the hardest parts, and I think – um, is the most difficult consideration is at the beginning, really getting to know your kids, but also recognizing that what works one day may not work the next day. And so it's always about being able to pivot and to know your, your students so that you can constantly invite them into the learning space. One of the things that I think about with all of this, you know, we threw out all of these, these ideas and, and talked about these concepts. Um, when I think about my own experiences in the classroom and, and, you know, how did I go about doing this? When I think about that safe learning environment, for example, um, I used to play a game with my seventh graders. So I, uh, in my previous life, I taught seventh grade reading for 14 years. And one of the very first activities I would do at the very beginning of the school year after, you know, we kind of did some of our precursory, you know, like, welcome to my classroom. Here's here's some functional things that you need to know. (laughs) Um, We played a game called Stump the Teacher. Okay. Tell me more. So what we did is I went around the room and the students had to tell me their first and last name and one interesting fact about themselves. Okay. And so, you know, Jonathan Wiley would stand up and he'd say, hi, my name is Jonathan Wiley. And whatever interesting fact, it had to be a fact about themselves um, that was, you know, kind of helped give some insight into who they were as a person. Right. Mm -hmm. So then I would have to say that again and I would have to reintroduce the students to their classmates. They would get, and of course, this is back before healthy schools were a a huge thing. Um, They got candy if I got any piece of information incorrect, including mispronunciation of their names. Okay. Um, If I got the fact incorrect, I could paraphrase just a smidge. I didn't have to say it word for word the way that they had said it, but I had to capture that. Um, And if, you know, I forgot any piece of information in that, right? So then I would have to go around and reintroduce all of the students to their classmates. Setting the tone from the very beginning, by the second or third day of school, I knew all of my seventh graders' names and at least one interesting fact about them. Now, I also, uh, truth be told, I would write myself notes in between classes of like the students. And so I would practice, but I think it set a tone from the very beginning that I cared because I took the time to get to know their names and how to pronounce their names and that interesting fact, which opened a door, um, for some conversations on down the road. And so, you know, it's little things like that, that can make a big difference. Yeah, I mean, it reminded me a little bit there of, you've probably seen this viral video of the teacher who had 
all those individual handshakes yes. with the kids as they yes. walked in the door. And they had to memorize like 30 different, you know, hand gestures that they did with those kids. And I think, you know, things like that really help make your students feel like, yeah, this is where I belong. This teacher gets me. This is where I need to be to do my best. And, right. and that's what we're talking about here. Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's those little things um, that can open the door for your students to feel comfortable sharing some of those other components that help you understand who they are as learners and what they bring. And I think about, you know, then it opens up the door for things like the choice boards um, or the playlists, you know, where they can control their own pacing that um, you guys get to know each other and know each other's nuances. All right. So to sum up, we are thinking for having students most engaged in the learning, you need to offer some choice and voice. You need to look for ways to offer relevance and authenticity in their learning. And you need to make sure that it's a safe environment. It's somewhere where they feel welcomed and a part of a learning community. That was an amazing summary of everything we just talked about. Well, I I can take that, yeah. (laughs) Nice and succinct. So that moves us on to our challenge for the end of this episode. Something that maybe you could do to take this a little bit further, learn a little bit more, and we both have a a pick here for you. So do you want to go first, Lynn? I would love to. Okay, so the the pick that I have is actually... a blog that's about student engagement definitions. It's put together, um, it kind of expands upon the Fisher Fry and Hattie reference that I said before. Um, It's done by the Great Schools Partnership. And what I really appreciate is it brings about um, an understanding of these multiple dimensions of student engagement, kind of defines these these dimensions and kind of gives you some considerations and think abouts. Yes, and this was a new one to me, so I appreciate you bringing this one to the table and adding that doc. I'm going to spend some more time on the Great Schools Partnership. You know what I say, sharing is caring, Jonathan. I like that, yeah. So my pick for this episode is a YouTube video I came across recently. It is called Creating a Culturally Responsive Classroom, and it is by Alicia Discapola, a digital literacy and learning specialist from Millville Public Schools in New Jersey. And this video was from an ISTE session in 2019. I think it might have been one of their Ignite sessions because it's a fairly short video. It's less than five minutes, but it really goes into some practical and interesting ways that you can use technology to help engage engage students and make them feel more part of the the learning environment so you know simple things like you know using translation tools to help communicate with families thinking about what your you know school website looks like to more specific things for the classroom like using different um, tools like Flipgrid and Seesaw and things to help your students uh, be more engaged in some of the things they're doing so it's well worth a watch if you haven't seen it before. I Really appreciate that. Sharing is caring, Jonathan. That's why we're here, Lynn. You're exactly right, Jonathan. That is why we're here. So sharing is caring, and we really do hope that these challenges and the episode itself have provided some grounding and will help you keep growing. Our music for the podcast is What's the Angle by Shane Ivers of SilvermanSound.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 international license.